Honestly, I think there is genuine value in like the people like Gary Vee. I think Gary Vee said it, who like can control their sleep really well. Like if you can be fully functioning on six hours a night, like if you have to sleep 10 hours a day, it is going to be tough. I don't think that is a real thing. What? No one has to sleep 10 hours a day. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe that's extreme, but I think some people do require more sleep than other people. I agree. Like babies. I think you can condition your body though with like anything. Like true. Yeah. Like, right? Yeah. Like, if Carl was to go for a run right now and run 5K, it's going to be a different time than me than a different time than you. The reason I'm going to be faster than both of you is one, because I'm mentally stronger. Two, because <laughs> I guy run, calls me on his podcast. I run six days. shit on me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> just, but like, if you condition yourself to sleep six hours a night and you wake up after six hours a night, you're just, your body's going to get used to sleeping on six hours. If you sleep nine hours every single day and then get three eight days in a row where it's five hours, you're going to be fucked. Yeah, I think that there's somewhere a happy medium. I think that there's a, a need, like some you, there's like a need and how much you go over that need. Like I think there has to be a baseline of like what is, like you need to sleep for a certain amount of time. I don't think you can be like, I can sleep three hours a day type thing, no matter how hard you condition yourself. I think Robert Herjavec sleeps like four hours a night. I've heard of stories of guys like yeah. doing like four or five hours a night and just getting used to it. I think people are different. I think uh, maybe the norm is not four hours or six hours or whatever, but I don't know. Should we challenge it? For the next six months, I'm essentially going to challenge it. So Alex, I'm going to tell you in June how it works. Yeah, man. I think I'd be happy with like, if I can just do a solid, like I, like, I wouldn't even be aggressive with it. Like if I go to bed every night at 11 and wake up at five, what is that? Six hours? I guess that's quite aggressive. Maybe 10 to five. I try to get seven. Yeah, seven's good. that I want to do six. I try, I usually try to go to bed 12 and wake up at like 6.37. Yeah. Like, I just once I'm after 10, I'm, it's done, man. Like tonight, I got to go home and work, and like my brain just shuts off. Like I can't, like I fit, like my all the numbers on my computer just mixed together. But maybe I'll try training too. We'll do it together. Why did you fit in this podcast? What? Why did you fit in this podcast? Well, you said it was going to start at seven, and it's quarter to eight now. <laughs> well, we've been gone for at least what 15, 18, 27 minutes. So Easy. We didn't start too late. Okay. Alex Thierman says hello to both of you. Hello, Thierman. Hi, Alex. Can we talk a little bit about lending? And I know that sounds extremely boring, but... It's my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. <laughs> it's my entire life. Fuck. Yes, okay, it's boring. Next. The, obviously, I see the lending side happen often because of my career and how unbelievably important it is to work with competent individuals who are experts in the world of lending. And I have a story. I think I shared this story with you this morning, but it is unbelievable how many times this happens, people. When you are trying to purchase real estate in Greater Vancouver, the market is insane right now. And these stories happen like way too often that I have a client completing on a pre sale. I share this with you, Carl. This is a new story, and I'd like to hear your reaction. Client complete, completing on a pre sale in two days from now. Their lender calls the notary, doesn't even call them, calls the notary and says, uh, there's only two people on this contract, there should be three. We can't send the money. They've had this contract in their hands for three months and they wait till two days before completion. So the client calls me and says, well, I, 
the person I was dealing with at the bank told me that they were a guarantor and they didn't have to be on the contract. I was like, well, why didn't you tell them before? <laughs> but anyway, because the person at the bank told them they didn't have to be. So they didn't even mention it to me. I had no idea there was a third person. Anyway, so now the bank, should we mention the bank? I would say probably not, but it's, it's probably not the one, bank. One of the big like, five banks, yeah. <clears throat> it's not the the lending department's fault. It's the person who totally was dealing with the client who is not an expert in mortgages, so doesn't know all these little details. Totally. Or to even call the realtor and ask questions or try to figure it out. Anyway, so now we have to basically write an assignment, which costs money. <laughs> so my clients have to pay an assignment fee to add a third person, which I assume this bank is not going to reimburse them for. No. And it has to be done immediately. So like half my day today was trying to figure out how the de- how I can get in front of the developer to make them sign this document so that this person can get financing on the completion that is in, on Thursday. <laughs> that's like, <clears throat> for a mortgage broker, that's honestly like a nightmare. Like I'm so, like my brain, like that is what I, what, that's what keeps me up at night is stuff like, like stories like that. Like in my head, it's like every file has to complete, no problem. And like two days beforehand, some bullshit like that happening, that would that would that would ruin my entire week if that happened. Cause it just costs everyone money. And like people, it's a little different for me and you because it's every single day we're doing the same thing, dealing with real estate transactions. Every single day. We do it from the second we wake up to when we go to bed. But when someone's buying their place, especially first-time home buyers, mm-hmm. it's like a big like it's it's a lot, right? It's a lot mentally, it's stressful, it's exciting, you're happy, you're sad. It's like it's a bit of a roller coaster, right? And when something like that happens, like that is an, like, especially if you're someone who's like not a very relaxed personality, like I, like I can think of clients in my head who are just really like kind of uptight people. Like if that happened to them, they would, they would pop, they would have a stroke. Like, whoa, that's a bad one too, man. That is a bad one. You know, I think very highly of you. I refer a lot of people to you. One of the things I appreciate so much about you is you understand what clients need to know and what the professionals need to deal with. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, this person from this bank, I don't know if they know who I am because it was probably at like the funding department at this point and they're just like, oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Like the fact that it goes from the notary to the client to me mm-hmm. is hilarious. Yeah. The first phone call should be to the realtor saying, hey, this is what we need. Uh, it obviously wasn't done. Let's try to find a way to fix this. And literally the last thing the last thing, all the shit behind the scenes happens because this is what we literally fucking deal with every single day of our lives, Carl, is my career is defined as this, my job role title, is professional fire putter outer at the top, <laughs> then like relationship manager, and then really low down is like sales. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, putting out fires is huge. It happens every single yeah. day, man. We had one, me and you had one the other day with uh, another client that was the exa- on the completion date. Yeah. And the amount of stress that can be taken away, this is a good lesson for professionals out there, especially in our industry, that can be taken away from clients just from us dealing with it. At, like imagine if the person from the bank called me and said, hey, this person needs to be on there. Uh, okay, well, was that ever communicated to the client? No. Okay, well, that is a problem. Like we completed in 48 hours. And then behind the client's back, I'm calling the developer saying, hey, this is what we need to do. What is needed from this? And then 
I said, okay, well, send me that paperwork. Here's the third person's name. Then literally it's one email followed up with a phone call saying, hey, I just sent you an email. You need to sign this. There's going to be a shitty fee. It is what it is. The bank kind of fucked you on this one, but it's all (laughs) done and it's ready to go. You just need to put your initial there. How much less stress is that than them fucking freaking out, literally exploring all options in the head. Am I going to be homeless? Am I going to have to stay with my parents? Am I going to, like, I'm already looking up Airbnbs, like, losing their mind. Do I have to cancel my movers? Like, there's so many, a long list of things rather than, like, let the professionals handle the the behind-the-scenes bullshit that could have been avoided by using a professional. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, And then just, like, I find that that kind of shit really makes the really good in our industry on both sides, on the financing side and on the like real estate sales side, stand out from the majority. Yeah, I think it's it's really because I, I I don't know if I told you this year I'm really working. I was talking to my cousin about it, and we're we're gonna try working a little bit more on my empathy as like a, a trait, a characteristic, mm-hmm. and which is basically described as like putting yourself in other people's shoes. So I put myself in the shoes of these bankers who are constantly fucking up these deals. Like if I was getting paid 50 grand a year to work nine to five, like one thing the banks do is they don't put the, not the banks, the people who work there, they don't put the transaction on their own shoulders. They can't, they, they sometimes will push things back on clients. Totally. Who are their clients who they're trying to serve, right? Because, you know, they got to go back, they got to get off work at five, go home, make dinner. Like they don't want to be f- answering emails at 11 o'clock at night, putting out fires. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different mentality, I think. And don't get me wrong; like sometimes there's there's people that transactions go through totally fine by going to a local branch yeah. who your dad dealt with. And sometimes it goes totally fine, but it's just a different kind of level of, you know, there, if there are fires, they're probably going to burn down the goddamn house. They're probably not going to put out really quickly, which is kind of the goal. Like you don't want in any profession, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, a real estate. Uh, agent, like you don't want your clients stressing out and losing their mind. Like, do if you do your job properly, you should. It's not that hard, right? Like, if you go to get your dentist done in some guy's basement and he charges you fifty dollars to fill a cavity, it might not be the best cavity fill. You know, it might might be kind of a shitty job. It might hurt. Might fall out. You might you know get an infection. It's it's the same thing with anything. Like, I've learned that myself dealing with uh, a couple of years ago. I started dealing with. Uh, an accounting firm on the North Shore, and it's just a completely different level of service than like what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just totally. it's totally different dealing with people who are really good at their job. Man, I I don't know what to say. I completely agree. That I, that like, story you had today though, that is a pretty bad one. Like I've heard so bad, bad ones. That's a bad one. So I mean, this is a great fucking promotional video for working with professionals. I don't get, like, I understand that someone working at the bank who is doing small investments, they're, like, forced into doing lending. They are opening accounts. They are, like, meeting with a bunch of different people. They're, like, overseeing, like, three tellers in there, whatever, whatever. I understand that mortgages is not their specialty. And, and they are fickle. as a consumer, as a consumer, what I can't understand is... It's free to use the people that are the best in the industry. It's it's free to use a realtor on the buy side. It's free to use a mortgage broker in most cases. Yeah, it's not commercial or private. It's free, yeah. In, yeah, in most cases. Why not take advantage of that? 
Dude, I wish you could have seen me and the look on my face when I was 24 and I got my first job at the bank. <laughs> I wish you could have seen the look on my face when someone came in and wanted a $600,000 mortgage to buy a condo. I had no fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> they, they sent us, okay, listen, they sent us to Toronto for this uh, program, right? I can't remember what it was called. You went to Toronto for a week to get trained, right? I remember you. Oh Toronto. my God. And so I'm like, cause I knew shit about nothing, right? I just got out of school. Like I knew like the school stuff, but I didn't know how to be a banker. So they sent me to Toronto and like my attitude is fully, I'm going to go there for a week. I'm going to write my notes down <laughs> And uh, I'm going to come out of there, like, just like knowing how to do my job. Right. (laughs) And fuck man, the first class, it's like, it's like open the textbook. I'm like, okay, let's learn how to do, cause it was a class on lending. It's like how to answer clients objectives. I'm like, Oh, I knew right away I was fucked. I knew I was not going to learn shit about how to do my job as soon as I opened this book. So you learn about how to talk to people. You learn about how to, you know, like, you know, smile, send cards, you know, stuff like this. A week later, I came back and I knew not one goddamn thing about how to do a mortgage. Not one thing, man. <laughs> People are coming in and I'm just sitting there. I'm like 24 at the time. I'm so afraid. And they're like, hi there. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're just normal people. And I'm sitting there in a suit, I'm 24 years old. I'm just like, all right. Like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, like, welcome. They're like, hey, we, we, uh, we are, you know, we're expecting a family. We're looking at uh, buying our first home and stop, you know, we don't want to rent anymore. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, I can help you with that. And that's what I said verbally. But in my head, I was like, oh shit, I have no idea what the fuck to do. So we basically had this appointment. I'm just like, like I did absolutely nothing properly. And they're just like, do you need anything from us? I'm like, I'll send you an email. (laughs) So, you know, I got, you know, I'm sitting there reading how to do this on the online. I think it took me like almost three months to do their pre-approval. And I'm working on it every single day. That's like, like I'm probably spent near a hundred hours, and this is the bank's paying me, right? Probably a hundred hours to get this pre-approval done. <laughs> Holy fuck! Could you imagine in this market if someone took a, three months to give you a pre-approval? I just couldn't believe it. And then I probably still screwed it up. Like who knows what the hell I was doing? It ended up funding, but like that was life at the bank. Like you just have no responsibility. Everything gets blamed on your employer, and you're just doing the best you can because you're not really trained that well. You know, there's a big difference between going to school and learning about something than actually doing it, right? Doing deals. <laughs> Like, like just the simplest, like name any real estate form, a PDS, 24 year old Alex. No, I pro- thought it was a PDS or PDF. PDF. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> you thought someone just made a typo. Yeah, on just the made a checklist. typo, like a PDF. <laughs> oh, they want me to have a change the version of this file. <laughs> like, I had no idea what a property disclosure statement was. Uh, yeah, it was, it was horrible anyways, but that is kind of, I do my empathetic self. I hope my cousin's listening to this, by the way. My empathetic self is really working on trying to feel for people who are stuck in tough. Because I felt for myself when I look back on 24-year-old Alex. I had no idea what was going on. I agree. I, so I want to tell you about the three levels of realtors that I believe that I've adapted. I'm going to do videos on this, Carl. It's on my list. i got a big fucking list of videos that are going to come out. Uh, but I want... so. There's not, nothing against people that work at banks. What I'm interested in is that a lot of why I love my job so much, why it's so much fun, is because we are helping improve people's lives. Like saving 20 grand, 
getting an extra 20 grand on a sale can be life-changing for people. Yeah. They're buying something that needs renos. That is two fucking free bathrooms for them. Yeah. That is a big deal. So I really appreciate and I'm willing to pay for professional service in other parts of my life that I'm not good at. Like videographers. Yeah, totally. Mortgages, video, like podcast producer. Yeah, lawyers, accountants. I could spend three months trying to figure out how to get this episode onto the podcast app and I would have no clue. For Carl, it takes a couple hours. Yeah. I want... Again, nothing against banks. There are mortgage professionals that work at banks that are phenomenal. I totally agree. I know, I know a few of them and I've referred people to these people because they're great mortgage people. But their job is mortgage specialist. Yeah. <laughs> their job is not account manager and they don't do everything that the bank does. And how much training? Very little, man. And <laughs> okay. it's tough because they, they used to call it having five buckets and you have to fill all five of your buckets. So you got credit cards. You gotta be a credit card expert. You gotta be an everyday banking expert, so bank accounts. You have to be a, and, and then just throwing this next one in there is it blows my mind that they're doing this. But you have to be an investment expert. You're taking <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people's like, like life savings, RSPs, RIFs, stuff like this, and it's your job to to manage this. Wow. Okay. And then you have um, insurance and loans and mortgages. Okay. So credit cards, everyday banking, investment, loans and mortgages, and insurance. And you have to be an expert at all five of those without any training at all. Think, wrap your head around that one. I mean, it just makes no logical sense. It makes just, just one of those, like just insurance itself. Like I know shit all about insurance. I know nothing, but I would never try to, you know, or investing, like, like to try to be an investment banker, like, like an investment specialist. Like that's, that takes a lot of work. It's a lot of things you have to do and think about and train for. And it's really hard to go from selling a goddamn MasterCard to allocating someone's Fucking life savings. It's a lot of work, man. So I, I, I do my empathy and myself in 2021. I feel for these people because it's tough. And I really feel for the clients. <laughs> so again, one of the, my favorite things about our job is that we are like affecting people's lives in a positive way through real estate, through mortgages for real estate and saving people money. And I want you to talk about a couple stories that have happened recently with clients of mine. And I know this happens a lot with you, which is part of the reason that I love you and refer people to you. But I want you to share them more so from a perspective of use professionals. It's free and it it will affect your life in a positive way. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about our friend, or the Irish friend that is moving out of BC. And God, I love that guy. The wicked awesome young couple that we're helping right now whose bank told them to blend and extend. Okay. So I want you that to summarize. Union, yeah. <clears throat> we, okay, yeah. sorry, credit yeah. union. I put them all in the same category. Okay. Financial institutions. Traditional financial institutions. Okay. <clears throat> so who do you want me to start with? Let's start with our friend, the Irishman. Great guy. Love that guy. Great couple. Great couple. They're set, yeah, they're Great super people. Nice people. Um, basically I think what happened with them is they're, they were in a mortgage, which is they were in a fixed rate product. And when, when you're in a fixed rate product, it's a contract. If rates, you have, and you always got to remember when you're dealing with banks, banks never lose. You will always lose before the bank loses. Like a casino. Like a casino. Yeah. So when you have a fixed rate mortgage and actually like this has been, this has been a huge thing since the pan- pandemic started, rates are not supposed to move super quickly. It's supposed to be very, very gradual. So 
what happened with the pandemics, it caused rates to drop quickly, un- unprecedented. It's never, it's never, I don't think they've ever crashed that quickly. And what happens when they crash that quickly, people now, just a couple of years ago, locked into mortgages at 3%, and now they're getting mortgages at 1.5%. And the bank says, holy shit, people can just like cancel their mortgage and get a new one at half the cost. Yeah. And we're stuck with the bill because we secured these with, with bonds that they bought. So these payout penalties we're seeing, they're, they're, they're not calculated three months interest. They're not three or $4,000. We're seeing 20, 30, 40, $50,000 payout penalties. So if you want to break your mortgage and you're halfway through your mortgage, the bank's going to be like, okay, break it, but you're going to give us every goddamn cent you owed us from the contract you signed. So they basically take what the person's rate was, what rates are now, what they could get. It's a little more complicated than that. And then they say, the difference between that, how much money you owe us now, you're going to pay us as a one-time thing. And because rates were 3% and now they're 1.5% or 1.6, 1.7, people, depending on the mortgage, depending on how deep they are into the mortgage, one, two, three, four years, they're getting like these pale penalties. And every, I literally got a message when you're upstairs talking just right now of a client being like, dude, I just called my bank, $28,000 was the penalty. You know, and this isn't a huge mortgage, it's a $500,000 mortgage. So with our young Irish friend, basically what happened was, we were able to come up with a very unique solution to basically make his payout penalty from 21,000 to 2,900. And what we did there, it doesn't like the thing, I think a problem with mortgages is that people think that it's all like, it's all just a, it's like the price of gas. Like every gas station is the same, right? Mm-hmm. It depends on a lot of things. It depends on the product, depends on the lender, depends on you as applicants. It depends on a lot of things, right? It's not just this this commodity that's the same for everyone. Like when someone says, hey, my buddy got a mortgage for 1.6. I don't give a flying fuck. That's not you. That's your buddy. It's a completely different situation. Your buddy could be getting an insured mortgage with a great bank and you could have just got bankruptcy and you have no job, no money, no savings. It's a big difference between those two things. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, it doesn't really matter what your friend got or it's a matter of like what the best you can do with the situation you're in. And some people, the best they can do is not the best. It's not, it's not going to be the best out there, but that's the best that they can have. And so with this client, we were able to save them essentially $19,000 by tailoring a very unique solution between his old lender and his new lender. We kind of found some loopholes that we could use and we were able to kind of like push the right buttons to get the payout penalty lowered to, uh, to a more realistic payout penalty. This is the kind of shit I'm talking about, Carl. This is like... I love the idea that I've said this seven times already that we can affect people's lives in a positive way. This is fucking game changing for a lot of people. Like yeah, for him, a lot of our yeah. clientele, we're younger people in our businesses. A lot of our clientele is young couples in their like, let's say, I'd say our average clientele is like 25 to 45 for me. Yeah. A lot of those people, an extra $20,000 in their pocket, not having to pay to the bank is game changing. Totally. Right? Well, $20,000 like, of action after tax. Like money, exactly. right? So that's like if you make thirty thousand, if you work at Tim Hortons, that is a year's salary basically Literally. just made by saving yourself twenty one, twenty thousand dollars. I get it, and I think that is great. And like for him specifically, like he has like some plans for his future, and like that will really, really, he's that's great. Like good for him. Uh, all the power to him. Like I think he's gonna like for just twenty one thousand dollars of after tax money is a lot of money to just save yourself. Huge, huge. So by able to like. And for me, like it was, you know, four hours of work. 
That's it. Saves twenty one thousand dollars. So yeah, he was. Um, that was a good one. That was that was one of the ones where the rare situations where the client wins and the bank loses. I, I love that shit. I feel like mortgage Robin Hood, man. <laughs> great. They take from the rich, give to the poor. Like I love that. It's such a great. It's a really good feeling. Like it's one thing to help people accomplish their goals, but it's another thing, completely different thing, to really like just do something like above and beyond the standard of expectation to really help someone out, which is great. And then the example- Honestly, that's a great point to me. Do you want another beer? Yes, please. The thing is like people are so absolute with what they say, right? The bank's like, okay, your option is to blend and extend your term. Yeah. And you don't have to pay a penalty. And the person's like, oh, really? You're going to save me $8,000 to blend and extend it? Yeah. Holy shit, man. This person's about to save like twice that, maybe three times that much money. By just taking a different option, sucking up the seven thousand dollar penalty, it's just a matter of mathing things out. It's not hard. Take two minutes to bring up a calculator, walk people through the process. Like shit, if you can, yeah, you're gonna spend seven thousand dollars now, but you literally will make up thirty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars in the next five years. Like it's it's like, who are these people giving this advice? So, especially as a banker, you're supposed to know about money. Like, well, you used to work at the bank mm-hmm, for a long and- time. Is the concern for the bank losing a client if they break the mortgage that they're going to shop elsewhere? And so they're communicating that this is the option that you have is to blend and extend for another five years. Like what, I'm trying to figure out why is this not being talked about? Is it Hmm. lack of education? Are they they unaware that this is an option? Because it seems like such a simple solution. And how many times have we talked about this in the last three months? A ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. So why are clients walking into the bank and then being left with this advice? Like it makes no sense. Because I walk into, literally, I walk into meetings once a week, Alex. I'm not fucking kidding you. And this is the communication that we're having. Okay, you're three years into your mortgage. Have you talked to your uh, lender? Yes. This is the way they suggested. Have they showed you what the current rates are? Nah, not really. Well, it's 1.6. So they're offering you to blend and extend it to save. What's your what was your current penalty? Eleven k. Well, did they tell you what the interest savings would be if you don't have a two point nine mortgage? You have a one point six mortgage. No. Like why? Why I'm not a lending specialist. Why is that part of my job now? I don't know. I don't know, man. Mm. I don't know. Like I think it's a mixture between people just not knowing and also people like. Like some, like it's hard to have conversations with people that are very real being like, Hey, you're going to have to like, I think it's a lot about appeasement. It's like, Oh yeah, you're not going to get any fees. You're just going to have this blended rate. That's currently lower than your current rate. Like you tell people like if you're, if, if your client's not an expert, you can easily just tell them things that make them happy. Right. And they go, Oh yeah, great. Nope. No penalty. And my rate's lower than it was before. And that's great. And I'm happy for you, but you're still losing yourself $20,000 by not, you know, really. And it's not complicated. Take a little bit of time to math things out. Like I have clients calling me all the time and I will literally run numbers as we're talking. Give me 15 minutes. We can just work it out. And I think the value is, is giving people options. You know, you can do this, you can do this, or you can do this. This is what, this is what the numbers look like. And that's kind of like, for me, I know you've mentioned that lending is boring off the very start of this, but like, I like numbers. I like, I like explaining things in numbers. It's super satisfying because they're so honest. Like you can't lie with them, right? It's like, okay, well, this is your cost of borrowing in this situation. This is your cost of borrowing in this situation. 
Um, one thing I do find interesting is like, man, I feel like this is like a whole episode on just shitting on banks. But I find it interesting, like the banks these days, like the turnover <laughs> is so incredible. Like, like in the 90s, you used to have a branch manager, right? Mm-hmm. You'd go in there, you'd shake his hand. Bill from RBC knows me, people would say, right? Mm-hmm. And Bill was great. Fucking excellent. Everyone loved Bill and Bill loved you and he'd take care of you. He, he would make sure his clients were taken care of. But now every time you walk into your bank, every two or three years, you're going to have a new manager, you're going to have a new person. And you're just a number in Toronto now. So once you have your product... That's it, man. You, you, that's you now. That's on you, buddy. Like you, it's between you. If you want to figure something out, call the help center. That's your options, right? And I just think overall, to answer your question, like originally about like why this conversation is happening, I just think that there's no onus of responsibility on the people offering this advice because they're not going to be there in two years when these people are like, what the fuck? What did I sign up for? You know what I mean? So I think that having, and it actually goes back to what you said originally about taking, putting up fires and putting the responsibility on your shoulders in a transaction to take care of things. That is what I think I didn't have when I was at the bank. Because I'd just be like, you don't identify as, like for me, my brand is myself now, where my brand at the bank is not me. So if I totally fuck something up, it's not my fault, it's the bank's fault. But now, like, there's a much stronger onus of responsibility on like, my reputation is my name now. Like, everything has to be perfect every time. People are not going to be calling me two days before funding, being like, "Hey, we need a co-applicant on the file." Like that is that's a disaster. That's that's bad. I don't like that one. I yeah, I agree. But when hiccups arise, I like that you deal with them. Like you put them on your shoulders. Totally. And well, it is because it's your yeah. brand. Like yeah, what, it is what's what it the is. other option? Just being like, "Well, that's what I Good love." Luck. <laughs> but no, but that is that's, literally that's the fucking right answer, right? Yeah. What's the other option? There, there really is none. Right? Like I'm, I feel like personally responsible for every single human that we're helping in the, in this crazy real estate world, you, right? You have to be. You have to be. And like, that's the same thing with real, realtors, right? I've said this before. Like, it's not the same thing with realtors though. There's no bigger, in any profession that I've experienced, there's no bigger gap between the good and the bad than in real estate. Like I really think so. Like the good and the bad, like I can't even describe the difference between the two. I remember I was talking to one of the realtors in your team and I was trying to describe it as like a really good realtor is like having like an F1 driver driving your car for you. And a bad realtor is like someone who can't even get the car to park. Like it's going nowhere. You're fucked right from the start. You're going to miss your flight, buddy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, it's a really big discrepancy between good and bad. Whereas like, what's what's another example? Like if you go to like, I don't know, let's say a dentist. You might have a shitty, shitty dentist or good dentist, but they're still going to do the job. But like a realtor, you will just simply not go anywhere. You're, you're, you're just totally screwed. <clears throat> your, your transaction will not take off. In markets like this, it's even more apparent. It's, it's interesting. People like I've had this conversation with multiple people talking about when do you shine? Do you shine in a slow market when it's difficult to sell? And so you market properties better. You get more people to see them. You sell them quicker in slow markets. Correct. Or do you shine in busy markets? And I firmly believe that our biggest competitive advantage is taking advantage of busy markets. Because there's so many examples, Alex. In the last two fucking weeks, I could give you two dozen examples of how people have undersold properties because they don't know what they're doing. Like literally today, literally today, we're in the middle of shooting videos with our new videographer. It's going to be fun. You guys are going to love it. 
We're literally in the middle and I get a text from a client saying, hey, this just listed an hour ago. Yeah. We want to see it. We're available tonight at 5 p.m. Call the realtor. Uh, we actually had a few showings uh, about half an hour ago. It's got a lot of calls. I'm surprised. Two people sent offers already. And oh, the seller doesn't want to show it anymore until Friday. I'm like, well, when are you taking offers? He's like, well, we have two. <laughs> I'm like, how many phone calls have you gotten in the last hour since it's been listed? Man, it's great. 15 to 20. Oh my God. Carl. And there's actually Carl, people like I this. I deal with this every single fucking day right now, Carl. <laughs> oh I'm, my God. So they just want to take the first offer and just move on. on they the have next no sale. clue what is happening currently, right? Jesus. So like, this hurts Bro, these me. Are hundreds let me, of thousands of dollars. It's hundreds of it's thousands crazy. of dollars, right? It's, it's not 10 grand. It's not no. five grand. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I call it the bully offer. I did a video on this today. It'll come. You'll see it. The bully offer is in fucking fashion again, man. It's like Adidas. It's coming back. Adidas is cool again. I thought it was cool in the 90s, but it lost its touch when Nike, you know, hit up Tiger Woods, big athletes, LeBron James. We're going to talk about Tiger. I know he may or may not be doing okay. Maybe it's K Swiss is coming back. I heard K Swiss is coming back with Gary V. Gary V wants to buy K. No, he's done shoe deals with Casey. He, he's done, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's done shoe deals. What about anyway, Fubu? That's uh, Damon John. Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for that guy. Came from literally nothing. Grew up in the hood. Single mom. Do you know the story? Yeah, I, I literally know that, just started making T-shirts out of his like bedroom. Yeah, I love shit. Started like that. selling them to his buddies. I love shit like that. And now it's like a <clears throat> multi like hundreds of million dollars. And when they acquired other companies, yeah, they're doing really so well. cool. But back to what you're saying about this mo- the amount of money being left on the table for some people. It's unbelievable. It, it honestly and, hurts my feelings. It really does. And let's bring it back to mortgages. So, uh, consumers don't know, right? They don't understand. When they walk in there and the person at the bank says, your current mortgage is 3.5, we can blend and extend for 2.7. They're like, yeah, fucking sign me up. I was three, paying 3.5, now I'm paying 2.7. That sounds great. Same with real estate, right? So you look at summer of 2020, the market on single family homes in a lot of markets has gone up 25% and I'm not exaggerating at all. So if your home was worth, let's say your neighbor sold in August, 2020 for $1.3 million and your realtor comes in and says, Hey, I think we should list at one, three, zero, zero. Same as the last sale, literally next door who had more renos than you. And someone comes in day one and offers you $1.45, $150,000 more than your neighbor. You, as a consumer, who are not paying attention to real estate, think, man, that is a fucking win right there. Especially when it's like your like right? $1.4 million is a, or it's a huge amount of money, right? Like it's, it's, you're just like, an holy extra $150,000 over your neighbor that totally. literally sold that house was better than yours. But the market for that house is one six. I know. It hurts. It really does hurt me. Because I see, it like, I know you see every them. single day. I man. see it too, man. It's so, it's it honestly is quite scary. Like I've heard, um, my girlfriend was doing a deal where the other realtor said that they would not accept their offer, which was the highest offer, 
because the realtor was afraid that the house would not appraise out. So their clients <clears throat> left right there, like that, $40,000 gone, right there, like that. $40,000, that is, that is a <clears throat> fucking shitload of cash to be gone with one phone call. That was just a bad decision. And when she told me this, I was just like, like some of these things are so bad that they're honestly, you'd think that they'd be on a television show or like, like you think that people would be like, how do you even write this shit? Like how would someone be so fucking stupid to be like, the what place does not, like? <laughs> the place does not appraise out. The market value of something is what someone wants to buy it for and then what someone wants to sell it for. That's the market price. Can you tell people right now how appraisals usually work, especially in busy markets? How do they work? Well, I guess who the, hold on. Guess who the appraiser calls to get into the home? The realtors. The listing realtor. Yeah. So the listing realtor, say Denzel, opens the door, walks them through. They say, oh, this is a nice kitchen. When was that done? You communicate with the appraiser. How many offers did you get? 11. <clears throat> what was the sale price? $1.9 million. Hmm. Sounds about right. Appraisal comes in. Mysteriously, $1.9 million. That's how appraisals work right now. In, in this market, that's exactly how they work. And like, it's harder when it's like a very slow market. There's not a lot of information out there. But like right now, for a place to not appraise out when it has 10 offers, it's almost impossible, right? Like everyone's like you, like there's like multiple, multiple offers. And this realtor said that they would not accept my girlfriend's client's offer because she was afraid that it would not appraise out. So they took an offer on that property the next day, 40, like <clears throat> I, I think it was 40, might've been 50, might've been $60,000 lower. And there, and the, you got to think that person's, that client, who the realtor's representing, they have no, they have no idea that they they literally lost with one phone call forty grand of cash. So after tax money, that's your annual income for the year, like it's gone. And it just, and it would be different if this was like something that happens like once a year, but it's like every single day you hear about shit like this, every day. Carl happens every goddamn day. I have to deal with this. So my, literally I'm on the phone with this guy because I called him and I say, okay, well, how many phone calls have you had? Oh man, it's been super busy, about 15. What is that telling you? <laughs> He's like, wow, a lot of people want to see it. You need to hold off on offers, man, and set some dates for us to get in there. He's like, well, it's not my choice. It's the sellers. I'm like, explain it to dude, them. Dude, you're a professional. They're paying you money to educate them on what is happening right now. And he's like, well, I, I can't, I can't decide for my seller. You need to tell them that there's 20, like 15, 20 people in an hour that want to see this house. Yes. You think the best offer is going to come in the first 15 minutes? What's going on here? I don't get it. I, Alex, it is infuriating. Here's another story. Monica on her team has a couple of clients looking at Port Moody up Heritage Mountain. If you're thinking of selling and want to sell off market, with an agent who doesn't know what the market value is, we have buyers for you that will pay market value. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is how bad it's getting. And uh, like, I am aggressively shedding light on this so that people make good decisions. I don't care if you work with me. I don't care if you work with John or Alex or Sally. I give zero shits. I want you to sell for the most amount of money and give people opportunity to write offers. There is a fuck ton of people that want to buy houses right now and there are zero houses available, very little. So list on a Monday, Tuesday, have a few showing windows, get people in the door. It's fun. We all get to wear masks. We use hand sanitizer. It's great. We don't touch anything. We walk through your home. We have a look. 
a lot of people want to buy homes right now. And then we have an offer date on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Doesn't matter. Realtors don't do it Saturday or Sunday. Get, it literally handcuffs buyer's agents. We can talk about that. I'm doing a video on that. Lots of videos coming up. <laughs> that is the point. Give people time to see the home. Allow people to write offers. That's when you maximize your investment. I've posted aggressively on social media about this in the last couple of days because I've given, been screwed multiple times. You know, this times. is probably the most worked up I've seen on any podcast mm-hmm. that we've done together. Man, it is unbelievable how frustrating this is. M- imagine the people who are losing to, okay, their year's income let me, on this. Let me come back to Monica's story. But they don't know. That's the problem, right? So Monica's story. Port Moody House. Calls the realtor day one. We're only showing on Saturday and Sunday. We're full on Saturday. You can only come Sunday at 3 p.m. Monica says, okay, great. Sign me up. Just so you know, my guys love this house online. They want to buy this house. I would like to come right now on Thursday at 2.15 p.m. We can be there at 2.18. We'll be there now. Nope, absolutely not. We're full. Only showing Saturday, Sunday. Can't come on Saturday. Only Sunday, 3 p.m. Monica gets a text message Sunday morning. Property sold, subject free. So not allowed to see it. Told to come Sunday. Sold before we get to see it. Monica replies, it better be of above 1.9 because that's what my clients were willing to pay. Obviously, they'd that? love... To, yeah. Ooh. It better be above 1.9. It was listed at 1699. Jeez. My clients are willing to pay 1.9. It literally checked all the boxes. Oh, this was going to hurt. Grade. I can tell you right now. Sale price hurt. comes out 1805. So that person lost $95,000. Literally lost $100,000. Oh my God. You know, it's another thing that I'm kind of seeing and I know it sounds like we're this just This happens shitting. weekly, man. It like... I'm giving you two examples. I could give you 15 more if we have seven hours to go through this shit, but like it's every day, man. The th- common thing I'm seeing too right now is like I'll have clients who have um, like, let's say they their cousin's a realtor and the cousin says, okay, I'll, uh, I'll cut 5K off my commission <clears> if you work with me. So they'll cut 5K off their commission. So they pay, the seller pays 5K less, right? So th- they save themselves their five grand and they will end up selling for like $50,000 less than what they should have. And then there's like, I'm trying to say, like, I can't really step on these because I'm working with these people. I can't be like, are you fucking dumb? But like, you just net lost $45,000. And like, these people feel great because they're like, yeah, yeah cash in your pocket, right? Yeah, it's right cash, there, I, I yeah. saved five grand. Yeah. But like, they're literally $45,000 worse off because they, they just, I don't know. It's just like a small, small thinking mentality. I think, um, it stings and I see it every day, but at the same time, like I'm not going to throw people under the bus, but like, goddamn, this, it hurts to see. Cause as a banker, so my, my life, mentality is the, literally the opposite. I'm fully would, aware yeah. and understanding <laughs> that I am okay throwing people under the bus and it's not their fault. If they're inexperienced, like, let me put this in perspective for people. There's 14,000 realtors in greater Vancouver. That doesn't include the Fraser Valley. Plus the Fraser Valley is like seven, eight, nine thousand in that range. So let's say twenty-five thousand, roughly. Licensed realtors. Greater Vancouver and Fraser Valley. Mm. Out of that, guess how many do one transaction per year? I'll tell you half. So to, like, I'm, I'll, let's talk about Greater Vancouver. I know these stats. So there's fourteen thousand. Seven thousand do one deal per year. In 2020, 2020 was a weird year, obviously with the mm. pandemic. At the end of August, which is eight months through the year, 14,000 realtors 
10,000 out of 14,000 had done zero. So let's talk about a normal year, but I just wanted to throw that out there because that is a, my, I saw that stat and I was mind blown. Do you have stats on who does like 10? So let me, let me finish my okay. thought here and then you can ask questions. Okay. 17,000 or sorry, 14,000, 7,000, 50% do one deal per year. Out of those one deal per year people, 7,000, the average deal per year is six. So essentially, that works out to 75% of realtors in Greater Vancouver do less than six deals per year. Well, then I guess... So yeah. then I pull it back again, empathy. Empathetic, I like... I'm trying, but I'm also real concerned for consumers, right? This is why our industry looks so bad is because people make drastic mistakes that cost people $95,000 on that property in Port Moody, right? At least, right? Yeah. Who's to say Monica's person was the highest bidder? Yeah, that's right? true. If you show an extra 25 yeah, people totally. on, on Sunday, maybe there's five more that write an offer. Maybe Monica loses by 50 grand. I think though, because there's these realtors who only do a couple transactions. So that's you know the problem, what? right? I have no idea what the fuck I'm saying here. I'm going to go on a limb here. But maybe because they are so like, they do so little business, they just are so desperate to get yeah. a deal done. As soon as it comes on, they're like, they're not really protecting the client's best interest. And maybe in those situations, they're so kind of protecting themselves. I think that's part of it. I think I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and think that they're doing well. Yeah. Like think that they're doing the right thing for clients. And so I look at it this way. If someone is doing six transactions a year in a regular year, mm -hmm. in 2020, which was a, a crazy year where like our team did 60% of the normal business we would do in the first six months. So we're doing a lot less. The person who's doing six deals, let's say three in the first six months, maybe he's doing one or zero. What is their experience in the last six months? Three transactions. So they're selling something in February, 2021. Their last sale was in September, right? Or, you know, whatever it is. They've seen five homes in the last six months. Yeah. It's not their fault necessarily, but like the problem right now and why properties are getting 25, 30, 40, 50 offers in cases, and that is actually true, is because people are pricing properties at a market value that hasn't existed like that is last summer. Yeah. The difference, like think of anything, think of Bitcoin. Yeah. Like if I priced my, if I own one Bitcoin and I just put it on Facebook marketplace and I priced it at $9,000, I said, I'll sell my one Bitcoin for nine grand. That's what it was worth in July, 2020. Whatever date was, it was nine grand. How many fucking offers would I have? Uh, unlimited. Million, yeah, exactly. Millions, right? yeah. So this is, you got to think about it this way. I'm pricing a home at a market value that was nine months ago and I'm surprised and overwhelmed as a realtor that we have a hundred showing requests in the first 24 hours. And, and out of those hundred showings, eventually like 75 aren't even part of the race. So this is the problem, yeah. Kyle, right? People are underpricing listings. Whether it's like they just don't know the market value or whether they're purposely doing it. Yeah. They're underpricing listings. Let's say literally I just got a text from a friend as we're talking right now saying, my sister just lost out on an offer. It was priced at $8.99. It sold $9.50. They were shocked. And I said, why were they shocked? It sold for $1.15. Why? 
That seems low. Pit Meadows? Yeah. That's a, that's... 115 is a pretty good deal. Like, why are they shocked? Who's their realtor? <laughs> but like, oh. I'm, I'm trying, I feel like, I feel like I'm genuinely trying to help people. Mm. And the way that business is being done in our industry right now needs to change. And there needs to be some sort of like, like body that provides information for people, right? Like this property in Pit Meadows, or sorry, in Port Moody that Monica offered on or wanted to offer on, wanted to try to get into, priced at 1699 is ridiculously low for what it is right now. Yeah. If you're pricing it ridiculously low, you have to allow people to get in. You have to be un, like understanding that you're going to be overwhelmed with showings. There's going to be 100 people that want to see it and it's going to get 20 offers. But like, this is the problem. Let's use Maple Ridge because we're familiar with Maple Ridge in the last <laughs> few months. The fuck happened to Maple Ridge? Uh, see a little inside have, joke you guys have? No, 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 no. We've seen a few properties in Maple Ridge. Maple Ridge is a prime example of one of the busiest neighborhoods in Greater Vancouver right now. A lot of listings are listing at like 849 because that's what the neighbor sold for in June of last year. But they're not looking at the other three sales that happened in the last three weeks that sold for 1.2. So what's happening in Maple Ridge and other areas of Greater Vancouver, Langley is batshit crazy too. <laughs> is they're listing at 849, <laughs> which is literally the price of a two-bedroom townhouse now in, in Pit yes. Meadows and Maple Ridge. And they're getting 100 showing requests in 24 hours and they're stopping showings. First 50, first 50 will let in and that's it. So as a non-realtor, as someone who's just somewhat logical and mm -hmm. has a decent amount of intelligence, would it not be the best strategy to list higher and have a more accurate representation of what your buyers, like if you're only going to take 50, would you not want the 50 who are, because if you're, if you're listing too low and you're having 50, you're going to have some people who are just not even in the race. So I've never seen a ratio like this where like, let's say pe these people are like, these realtors are cutting off showings at 50. They're just making up this number, 50 showings. They're like COVID. You can only have one person in a house at a time. Is that what coffee shops do? Is that what like grocery stores do? You don't have one customer in a, in a like, who, who made up these rules? These are made up rules. And in, if that is your strategy, time. you got to price a hell of a lot higher. You need to price accordingly yeah. to your, totally. if you are super concerned about having people in your house and you want one showing at a time, that's fine. You got yeah, you, you like period. sellers can do whatever they want. It's their property, but you can't price it at a stupid low number. Yeah. It makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> so, okay. Back to finishing the story. 50 showings, the ratio of people offering after showing is stupid high. It's like 40, 50%. This is, this is mind-blowing, right? We've yeah. never, ever seen this before. So let's say 25 offers on a house that got 50 showings. You know how many of them are seriously in contention for that house? Maybe three. Yeah. Maybe three, right? So if you're aware of what is happening in this market and understanding that Looking at sales six months back are completely irrelevant. Looking at sales in the last 60 days is somewhat relevant. Looking at sales in the last two to four weeks is what is determining market value today, right? Yeah. This is literally the way people are buying homes right now. They're looking at what is the last sale in this neighborhood? 
sold for one one, I better pay one one five or else I'm not going to get it. So yeah. if you price that house that is going to sell around one one, maybe higher because that's what the last sale was at eight ninety nine. You're going to get a stupid amount of showings. Like, it makes no sense why people are confused about this. I'd like to go on the record saying that approximately six months ago, maybe even more, I don't know, let's say six months ago, I'd say last fall, I called that this would be exactly what was going to happen. I knew that money was going to stay cheap, but the, the mentality of people has recovered from COVID where the economy and fiscally, we have not recovered from COVID. So people have the mentality that this shit is over. Let's fucking party. But the money, like the money system, like, you know, the banks and uh, the government is still like, we cannot do shit with our interest rates. They're still going to be super low. You got people who aren't afraid, money that is afraid, so it's super cheap. Man, that's a bad combination. It's such a crazy combination, right? So this is the reason that I say firmly, work with experts in their field. Find the best people, Google, look at their Google reviews, look at their social media, look at what they're doing online, look at their website. Work with the best people in the East industry, like me and Carl and James. I don't know why I call him James. He's always been James. so weird. Me, Carl, and Jamie. <laughs> Garbutt? Yeah. Yeah, why the hell did you say that? So, <laughs> like, fuck? we're doing Who the pod- hell calls him James? It's his professional name. He wants me to call him James. And I, I say, okay, Jamie, thanks. <laughs> okay. we, we did podcast probably like two or three weeks after lockdown. And it was like predictions for the future. Me and you did one too. And literally my advice was, I think this is the best time to buy. And I said, I, I remember, I think I listened to it recently. I said, I don't, re- I don't know if this is going to last three months, six mm-hmm. months, nine months, but it is never going to be as uncertain as it is right now for a long, long time. And I said, and I can think of one property we had listed that in New West that sold for 115 in April, I think. And literally our advice to the seller was like, this is a, like, this might be the, literally the lowest in the next five years. And they're like, that's okay. We want to get rid of it. We bought it 20 years ago. We paid like 200 grand. Sold for 115. And that house today, almost 12 months later, let's say 10 months later, is worth 145. It's crazy. Because even if you make 300 grand a year, let's say you're a physician, you would have made more money on your house in that year than you would in your entire income. Exactly. God damn. Fuck, I love numbers, man. <laughs> and if that's your primary residence, it's tax-free. Exactly. No cap, not no gains. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, gentlemen. I get fucking fired up about this shit. What, you want to announce that you're leaving? What time is it? No, I don't need to leave. Um, the This is interesting because you're very passionate about this, and I like it. I really like it. You're like... so. We hired this full-time videographer. And God bless her. In the last week, I've been writing. I, I started a new notebook. This is, this is fucking exciting for me. I started a new notebook. I have one notebook for work. I got another notebook, video ideas. And one of my things was like, like this is just a video topic. So I'm talking about like how to handle multiple offers. On the buyer side of multiple offers, how to make your offer stand out. Like lots of stuff. On permanent rent, as we've done a podcast on this stuff. But like trying to get them into short, small clips to share on social so that one, they're educational, but they're kind of entertaining. One of like the things I wrote down was like, why do I love being a realtor? And, you wrote this down in your book? Yeah. I got my book over there. I can show it to you after. And like I wrote down like three things. And like one, I'm having the time of my life. Like it's so much fun. Two is like I genuinely just love helping people get into a better situation than they were before. And 
this is why I'm so passionate about it is because I see people that are getting screwed and they have no idea they're getting screwed. So this is what makes me very upset. This is why I'm very emotional and loud and I have a lot to say about it is because like things like this are easily avoided and you don't have to be the best realtor in the world. All you need to do is just like follow what the good ones are doing. Like if I call you after one hour of your property being listed and you say, you, we got two offers. I like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> It'd be funny and then I if say, it wasn't real, man. I know, It'd be funny I if it know, wasn't real. so sad. But guys, then I say, okay, well you have two offers. Great. Like, have you sent them to seller? Yes. Is she gonna, are they going to deal with them tonight? I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, can I bring my clients in 15 minutes? No. She said, there's no more showings till Friday. Oh. The fuck is happening, man? <laughs> Crazy. How is that even a possible answer? I think if you look for logic in it, you're going to get very frustrated. This is why I'm emo- like excited about it. Well, it's because both of our jobs are kind of very like people oriented. So you kind of want to see like you're like if, if these people who are getting fucked were your clients, you'd probably be over the moon furious. Like you'd probably be super pissed, right? Like pretend you had a seller who ended up selling for hundred grand lower than they should have. Like literally, if that happened on our team, they would not be on our team tomorrow. Like this is how fucking bad this shit is. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, it's not like it, it's I, not I know funny. we're laughing know, about it, but yeah. like it's unbelievable. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and it's like. In my opinion, and again, like maybe I see more properties than most realtors in Greater Vancouver, but it is a little bit of effort. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit. It's a few phone calls, right? Yeah. Like if I look at, if I'm used to the way I used to do business in 2014, in 2019, super slow years, I would look back 12, 24 months of property sales, mm-hmm. like, hey, we can compare against this. Buyer comes through, I can talk to them about this one coming, you know, that sold down the street, that ours has a nicer kitchen whatever, whatever. Now, if you're used to that and you see like 950, 975, 980, 950, 945, 900, (laughs) 1.3. Like as a realtor that maybe doesn't sell property, I would look, huh, that's curious. (laughs) I'm going to call that realtor. I'm going to say, hey, you listed last week. All these all these sales from the fall are nine fifty. Mm. How did you get one point three? How many showings did you have? Eighty seven. <laughs> How many offers did you get? Twenty three. <laughs> As a realtor, I would be like, "Huh, seems like the market's improved, <laughs> right?" So maybe I'm listing it like if if I if my seller's in a position where they need to sell quickly, they bought something already, they mm-hmm. need the dates to line up. Maybe I'm listing at one one nine nine. Right, I'm listing a hundred thousand dollars under that last sale. If they're not in a position to, if they're downsizing, they just want to maximize value. Let Maybe I'm listing a one three nine nine. Yeah, I'm saying there's literally nothing available. There are twenty two people that lost out on that one that are pissed. <laughs> they can come see mine. Mine costs a hundred grand more. Mm-hmm. Right? You can write an offer one three seven. No problem. We'll take it. <laughs> Seventy grand over the last sale. I'm not, I'm not averaging them out no, no, yeah. and saying, well, 
Nine out of ten are nine fifty. One's one three. My average is nine ninety nine. Let's price it there. And then when you say it like that, it is. And then, funny. then you get one hundred twenty seven touch bases. Touch bases is the internal messaging system. Guys, you think this is funny? This is literally what is happening right now. One hundred twenty seven touch bases, and then you post on your listing, overwhelmed with touch bases. Don't send messages anymore. Showings full. Yeah, man. Fuck. Alex, you're laughing at me. This <sighs> is what is happening right now. I know. It's just, it's and then, sad. So me as a buyer's agent who has other clients, I don't have one client. We have multiple clients. We are a fairly busy real estate team. Our client messages us. We really pride ourselves in the response time. But if it takes me 30 minutes to get back to a text message because I'm in a car driving in between appointments and they say, hey, I want to see 123 Smith Street, I'll look it up. I'll message that realtor immediately saying, hey, when are you showing? What are you showing? And they respond to me saying, showing's full. I reply immediately saying, that's not an answer. I'd like to book a showing. My clients are very interested. I only work with people that are willing to buy in this market. Yeah. That understand, you know, we've talked to them. You need to be pre-approved. Most properties are selling subject free. What does that mean for you? We're going to do a shit ton of due diligence before offers. We need deposits ready. We need to give sellers their dates. They're ready to buy a house and they like yours. We need to get in. Give me five minutes. I'll come at 4.30 a.m. You tell me the fucking time. I'll be there for five minutes. Sorry, full COVID. That is not a response, people. That is not an, an appropriate response. If you or the seller are extremely sensitive and can only have one showing at a time, that's fine. It's up to them. You can't price at a condo price for a single family home. Yeah, it seems like a bad strategy. So what is this governing body you're talking about? Like... It's almost like the, we wish we had a king of the world who'd just be like, don't be a fucking idiot, you know? Like, So that's the problem, right? Is like, there's no rules, right? No. There can't be rules. There needs to be competency and like rationality, right? Like, you laugh at my example, but this is literally what is happening, man. This the way, is the example. The way you said it was kind of funny. 127 touch bases, that is quite funny. Like, your phone would just be exploding and... Like, I just, the way I think about it is like almost like a monkey being like overwhelmed with stimuli. <laughs> like, just like uh, holding something, they're just overwhelmed with stimuli, like just not knowing how. And they honestly, I, they put themselves in that position by just not doing their due diligence on how much to list for. But it is kind of funny. And you don't have to, but not know, for right? the clients. Like, my, my concern is not that you have to know. My concern is that you do slightly more effort to, to know, right? Yeah. So, John Smith just sold for one three. Call John. John, man, great sale. Congratulations. That's awesome. Your clients must be fucking pumped. What happened? What was that experience like? You're on market six days. How many showings did you have? 99. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Yeah. But there's literally no effort. It's literally 12 months, average, list, 897. Sounds good to me. Fuck it. Sign it up. <laughs> it's, have you seen any properties in this market that have just been listed too high and no one's touching? Yeah. Very few. Very few. Okay. Very few. 
Leasehold. <laughs> that's dealing with one of those tonight. Uh, best of you. Yeah, those are tricky. Leasehold is different. Different. But like means. single family, mm-hmm. yeah, it happens. Like, because there are, there are some educated sellers that, let's, let's say not necessarily educated, but like following markets closely mm-hmm. and they're seeing a rise, right? Yeah. They're seeing literally 2020 was like this. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. And then it was like January, 2021, right? It's like fucking Bitcoin in the last three months. Literally, that's what it was like. And some sellers see that as like, my neighbor just sold, literally sold last week for one four. I'm going to ask one six nine nine. Someone offers me one six. Done deal, like take it and like sign it and go. Mm-hmm. But there's just like some people are just there are some sellers that are listing, and if they get a ridiculous number, they'll sell it. If not, they don't really want to move anyway. Gotcha. And there are a lot of realtors that don't take those listings, <laughs> but there are some that do. So people who are basically thinking of downsizing, you think that this might be the time? Like, I can't predict the future. I don't know how how long interest rates are going to stay this low. I don't know if the government, the NDP is going to come up with this like bullshit foreign buyer tax, like a new one, spec tax, vacancy tax, like tax, tax, tax. Like, I don't know. So I think, um, I think this spring is going to be a phenomenal time to sell single family, but I wouldn't be surprised if it keeps going. I think from a money perspective, I think you're going to see rates move up gently in the fixed market over the over the spring, just because the I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure to move up rates because of kind of what's going on in the market. Not what's going on in the market, but basically inflation is going to start kicking the shit out of everyone. Sure. So rates have to move up a little bit. But when that's going to happen, who knows? But I think you're going to see a gentle increasing of fixed rates in the spring. I think you know the variable rates will probably stay. Fairly similar to where they are. Isn't the fear of inflation over the next five years, though, pushing people to invest in things outside of cash like real estate? Yeah, fucking, if you're keeping money in your bank account right now, that is a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Um, Really, like, that is, in my opinion, why, like, the crypto markets are absolutely exploding. Because, like, before what used to happen is people used to buy gold because gold was like, it was like tangible. You know, you buy a piece of gold, it's something you really have. Because if you have a dollar and the government prints a hundred billion dollars, your dollar becomes less powerful. Totally. It's not that the chocolate bar, the Snickers doesn't become more expensive. It's just that because there's more money, it takes more of your dollars to buy the Snickers. And that is something that is very, very lost on people who have no idea how money works. So keeping money in like a savings account, like think about it as like a grandma who kept, you know, let's say... $5,000 in cash under her bed from 1970 to today. Man, maybe that $5,000 would have bought a Pontiac back then. Now that $5,000 will buy fuck all. bought a lot more than Pontiac. I'm just saying, you know, it would have bought a car. Now 5000 you know what I mean? It's not, the Pontiac didn't get more expensive. What about New York? What, yeah, like, my what, grandma? I think my grandma was born in 1924 geez. or something. Yeah, I was looking at a menu from the Titanic. I'm a big maybe history buff. in that. 1919 or something. The Titanic? No, my grandma. She died when she was 92 and I was like 12 years ago. She was born in 1919? Well, I don't know. Do the math. She died when she was 92. 
and like I think she died when I was thirteen, nine. It's so like oh four. Eighteen years ago, Jesus. Man, she was old. Dude, as she shit. was born just over nineteen hundred. So she saw the full <laughs> second. Yeah, yeah, like nineteen twelve or something. Anyway, let's see the Titanic sunk. I think. Yeah, if she had five grand then. Oh, buddy. She could have fucking bought three Titanic. Totally. Maybe <laughs> not two Titanics, <laughs> but she would have had a, a lot of money. Yeah, like, um, yeah, people think that, like, you know, people say, even my parents sometimes will be like, holy shit, I went to White Spot and the meal was $60. Like, prices have really gone up. It's like, not really. Prices have not gone, like, things, prices have, like, I know. Yeah, like, it's not like prices have gone up. It's just like, like, that burger is the same fucking burger. The fries is the same fries. It's just that money. Like, okay, here's a perfect example. Remember when you were younger and someone made, a hundred grand a year, you'd be like, holy yes, fuck, that person yes, is yes. makes six figures is 100%. so much money, right? But now it's like most, most like a lot of people make six, like a, I, I see everyone's finances. I've been in banking since I was 21. A lot of people make six figures. It's not crazy. And, you know, when I was a kid, I remember thinking $100,000 a year, like even like not because I was a kid and I thought that $5 was a lot of money. It was because like, at that point, when people said someone made a, had a six-figure salary, it was just like, holy shit. Nurses make six figures. Firefighters make six figures. A lot of people make six figures. Um, and it's because, you know, the value of money goes down over time. Mm -hmm. So keeping money in your bank account, it's not the best idea right now. Buy anything. Just don't keep it all in cash. Especially now with how much money the government printed. It's just like a... Anyways, I have strong feelings about the, I think it's called cost of capital, like the cost of what you're doing. Opportunity cost, that's what it is. No, wait, it's called cost of capital. Anyways, don't keep your money in cash, people. Opportunity cost is what you comparing one thing to another. What you could have done with it, yeah. So like, I could have done this, but I didn't. That's the opportunity cost. Um, yeah, so I think it's a terrible idea to, buy, yeah, buy anything. Fuck, I don't care what you buy. Just don't buy something that depreciates. Don't buy a car. Invest in anything. <laughs> Buy gold, buy oil, buy Bitcoin. Just just don't keep it in cash. Real estate's a really interesting one right now because 2016, 2017, when the market was really hot for strata, let's say 2017, 2018 for strata, interest rates were like three, low threes. In Sorry, what year was that? 2017, 2018. Yeah, low to mid, yeah. Low threes. And the cost to buy a one-bedroom condo with your mortgage and strata and property tax was like two to $400 more than what you would get for rent. But now with the interest rates at 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, whatever it is, the cost to buy a one bedroom condo compared to rent all in is like even or plus 200 bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of opportunity in strata right now. Strata is just starting to kick off. It's just starting to get busier. And like close to the city, especially. We've had these conversations multiple times. Like downtown was dead quiet in 2020. It yeah. was ridiculous. You could have a great two bedroom with a partial view that a year before would have sold for a million bucks, listed at 875, and it was just dead quiet crickets. Was that not because like people were working from home? So there's a bit of urban sprawl. Like people yeah, want 100%. to get into the. But that's where the opportunity is, right? Yeah. Like. <clears throat> We talk about crypto, me and Alex and our other friend Alex have this crypto chat. And we always talk about like the best times to buy. The best times to buy is when it's low. Right? <laughs> I know. Not when everyone wants to buy a single family, right? Yeah. 
totally 2019 like, no one wanted to buy a single family is like i've right. been doing like i've been like trying to invest my entire life and it, no matter how long i've done it for the mentality to try to buy after you just got crushed it never gets easier for no. me like mm-hmm. like fuck your portfolio goes down 20% and being like well here's another time to throw 20 grand into it it's just like it never gets easier and you always like me i always want to buy when things are skyrocketing i'm like holy shit it's up 20% this week i'm going to throw more money into there it's like that mentality. Like, I swear to God, the only people who really truly get that are those lads in Toronto and, and uh, New York. Like the guys who like manage these trust funds. They're the only people who genuinely can actually sell high and buy low. Because everyone else, like even myself, like I know that's don't ride something when it's high. You know, crypto cr- crashes fifteen percent. I know that's a time to enter. I'm not stupid, but I can't pull the trigger. I want to buy it when it's up fifteen percent. And then it goes down. And can that you, is why I will never- Can you train yourself to do that? I don't know. Like, like let's say throwing in a, a marginal amount of money that is not going to affect your life in any way. Just to like train yourself three times. So like, let's say in the next two months, you're watching crypto really closely. You're watching Bitcoin. You're watching whatever coin you're investing in. And just have like $100 sitting there. And every time you see a dip, toss it in. Yeah, that's a good- Versus answer. like, because- if you're if you're talking about investing ten grand at a time, like it's a amount of money that is totally a lot more significant. And if you that ten grand goes to zero, you're probably gonna be like, "Fuck!" If that hundred grand goes to zero, you're like, hundred dollars, yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, but at the I'm same time, I'm not gonna time, buy that nice bottle of scotch next I know, week. But at the I'm same gonna buy time, that medium bottle of scotch. I know, but okay. I'm gonna be like because. at the same time, I'm gonna be like, "Fuck!" I should have just done it with like a real amount of money. Like hundred, like that's great. I can do it with monopoly money too. <laughs> you know, pretend, but like. I would rather, I just wish that, like investing in anything is very emotional. And I just wish I could remove that from like my personal personality. Cause like I'm the first guy to tell people don't buy high. If something's skyrocketing, it's probably Can overvalued. You? And then I'm going home and doing it. But why, why is it emotional? I just, I, well, you're emotionally attached to it, right? It's, why? it's your finances. Like you want to do well. It's funny cause like, Real estate investing for me is just like, is this a good deal? Okay, yeah, sweet, buy it. Real like, estate's a little bit easier money. because, especially if it's owner occupied, like it's your place, it's a little easier because when you put time, like time is a really good way to mitigate risk. You know, if you're gonna live in a place for five or six years, like it's really easy to not take on risk or 10 years. So, real estate's like, that's why people think that, like, that's why real estate generally is safe for people because it's not day trading. People, not anymore, like people used to back in 2008, right before the foreign buyer's tax, people used to day trade real, real estate, right? They'd buy a, con- they'd buy a pre-build, assign the contract three months later. Yeah. Buy a pre-build, assign the contract. Buy a contract, sell the contract. Don't mm-hmm. intend to ever live in the place. That's kind of day trading real estate. But in general, real estate, when you live in a place, you really, really, really reduce the risk when you say, hey, I'm going to pop out two kids. Me and my wife are going to live here for five years. You really reduce that, like up and down, the dailies up and downs. You know what I mean? Because over time, any market basically over time goes up. Anything, anything. Like you can invest in almost anything if you hold it long enough. It's going to go up if it doesn't crash, like Nortel. <laughs> um, but um, you could relate that back to like the more involved stock portfolio investor or a crypto investor, hundred percent. Right? Because like, let's say this townhouse. Paid nine fifty for this townhouse two weeks ago. If it, in a year from now this townhouse is seven forty nine, I would buy twelve of them. Right? Like, yeah. It's gonna come back. Yeah. This is a sweet location. I love it. 
I have no emotional attachment to this. I just think it's worth more than 749 or whatever, right? Like if crypto, if you believe in a Bitcoin or a different coin or a RBC stock and you bought it a hundred bucks and it goes down to 70, you believe it's going to go back up? Why? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I feel like that is the obvious time to put money in. Well, I'll tell you it the goes to 150 why. and I think it's worth 100. Well, the reason why is because sometimes people don't have the luxury of being able to decide when they sell. Like I bought Walmart at its absolute peak like three months ago, threw a couple grand in there, I think maybe threw five grand to Walmart. And I right away, next day, got just kicked right in the nuts. It went down. And I swear to God, I will not sell this thing until I get my money back. And I, I don't care if I have to hold it for the rest of my life. I don't care if I'm 95 years old on my deathbed. I'm not selling that stock until it's back up. Um, but yeah, that's the reason people do have to do these things and take lo- people take losses because they need their money for something, right? That's why, like, when you're investing people's money, if you need your money in six months to buy you and your wife a home, you probably shouldn't be going balls to the wall in the most volatile crypto market you can possibly find. You should probably put in some bonds or a savings account or something, you know, because you need that money. So you only take a lo- like you own an amount of shares. You only take a loss when you sell it. But that's the reason people take losses. Is- in real estate in any market mm-hmm. is because they need that capital at that time to do their next thing. So that's why you really have to, you know, time time really does heal. Time really does reduce risk. It's the biggest thing to reduce risk in investing. But if you don't have time, like you don't want to be just throwing all your money into things. Because like, think about it. Pretend you, like, let's say your down payment was in crypto and you had needed $100,000 and you didn't pull it out before last Friday. <laughs> Sorry, Jake, you got 60 grand now, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's why you need to kind of invest wisely. But yeah, it's a discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah, crypto, man. That is a volatile market. I've bought it's, like stocks in like small cap, like mining companies, gold companies, like really small companies. And I'm looking at them sometimes like, holy shit, this is volatile. This is another beast, man. Like it is truly another beast. That's so fun though. It's fun if it's like, yeah, no, you're right. It is fun if it's like something you're doing as a passion. If you don't but if know it's your down payment, it, no, that no, no, is no, no. not fun I mean, at all. Like, that is not a suggestion. <laughs> that is at not all. fun. Please do not like yeah. ever take our advice on crypto yeah. investing. But it's for me, it's fun. I'm putting in a money amount of money that if it goes to zero, it's not affecting my life. Like mm. I'm not investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into this thing. I just enjoy watching it. And like I like the opportunity long term. And I firmly believe with what I know that this is a much better idea than what is currently happening with 100% just printing money, right? That is why it's such that's a why, dumb idea. That's why it's taking off, right? Yeah. Because people need a place to keep money. They know they can't keep it in their bank account. They know they can't keep it in traditional sources. Where do you keep money? If you keep it in a bank account, what stops the government from printing another trillion dollars exactly. and making your money like less? Like they did last year. Exactly. So- yeah, it's a solution of like, where do you keep money? Like that now is kind of a tough space to know where to keep money, to be honest with you. I agree. Like it's it's hard to know like if you have some money, like where do you where, where do you put it? Can't like because before you could always just keep it like in your, you know, your savings account or something. But now like that shit's about to be eaten away. So where do you keep your money? I me, I've always said the same thing. Diversified. Real estate, securities like stocks, and then debitures like bonds and stuff. Have that as your little portfolio. Shifted a little bit depending on what's happening, but you'll always kind of be okay. You know what I mean? Um, but like, yeah, keeping a cash is not a great option right now. What 
Knowing what happened in 2020, what percentage of your net worth would you keep in cash today? Like just enough to live? I will literally show you my bank account right now. I probably have less than a thousand dollars in my checking account. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I keep enough in my checking account for my mortgage payment to come out. Um, I'm, I, I'll literally show you right now. There's probably 940 bucks in there. Like I do not want any cash. Like just like if I have physical cash, I don't want that. Like I want it in any, absolutely anything else. Like I will put it into. Crypto, I'll put it into my stock, my TFSA, my stock portfolio. I'll throw it into some RSPs for long term. I'll put it, you know, throw it against your mortgage. Do anything, but just keep it in cash is just a bad idea. And even throwing it into your mortgage is kind of a waste yeah, of money too, because rates, yeah. yeah, rates are so low anyways. Like you can do anything else with your money. But some people like to be the like the idea of being mortgage free, which I totally respect. But right now, with how cheap money is, it's like shit. You can go buy the safest mutual fund, return five percent a year. Yeah. Or you can put it against your mortgage at 1.7% a year. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to do that. Yeah. I talk about first world problems. Where do we keep the money? Where <laughs> do we keep the money? No. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the kind of conversations I really enjoy having is because like, I think people with their friends and family talk about this fucking daily, right? Totally. Like, what are we supposed to do? I don't understand. Justin Trudeau is on a fucking batshit crazy. Spending's free, yeah. Exactly. Would it, like, what am I supposed to do with that? So how do I, I how do I benefit? Part of the problem. How do I protect myself? I think older, like there's like the generational thing. Like when I talk to older clients sometimes, not so much professionally, but just personally, not in my professional life, but personal life, there seems to be this kind of like this idea that you should not talk about money. Yes. Yes. And it's like really fucking bad idea because these people don't know what they're doing with their money, but they don't want to talk about what to do with their money. That's like saying, you know, I'm really sick and I'm fucking dying, but I really don't want to talk about health. Like I don't want to talk about my problems. I just wanted to just let the Lord take me, you know? So I think that like the people have to have these open comments, like talk to your friend, talk to your whoever, but they have, there has to be this discussion going because right now people are, there's a big opportunity cost that people, there we go. That's the right way. To, there's an opportunity cost on this to keep money in cash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. God bless. Man, finance, you know, you said finance is boring. I think it's really fun. I think it's it's such a it's such an interesting world. All the things you can do, all the opportunities, even getting kicked in the nuts sometimes. It's it's kind of invigorating, you know, it makes you feel alive. Like what happened to my crypto profile today? It hurts. But you know You're not selling though. And like That's true. Even from the time I started putting money into crypto, like well, I had a better day today, but I had a much better day today. Like it's up like 25%. Yeah. It was up like 65% I, I, I do two th- days ago. I do no? think, <laughs> right? yeah. I do oh, think yeah. long term though, it, it's like a super good idea. Like it's- It's so interesting it's, to it's, me. Yeah. It's fun to watch like the ups and downs. It's fun to like be in a position where you can throw a little bit more in on those downs. Yeah. And then like two days later, you, you know, whatever, this mini coin that we like. Like it's fun to throw money in at three and a half cents, and yes. then two days later it's four point eight. You're like, fuck yeah, I, I timed that correct. Yeah, it's, all, it's all percentages, right? Yeah, yeah. it could be worth forty thousand, or because you're just buying a percentage of it. Exactly. Right? No, I agree. Well, why? Great to shit on banks. And are you done? <laughs> I probably got like fifteen minutes before. I just got a lot of work to do. Okay, things. fifteen minutes. Okay. Why do people? Why are people so sensitive about money? I think. It's, I think it's like. I think it's their like people. 
Is it insecurity? No, it's not. It's people Are do you what sure? their parents. It's, it's cultural. It's cultural. People do what their parents told them yes. to do. Like the way people live their lives. Like if you look at what someone eats, it's really based a lot on what they ate growing yes. up or how they look at money. It's what their parents did. If people only knew that their parents had no fucking idea what they were doing, they'd be much more inclined to do something themselves. But they're just like, like, even when I was a like 24 year old banker and I knew nothing about anything, I knew it was a bad idea to get a paycheck, put $200 in your checking account, put the rest in your savings account, paying you 0.5% a year, and that was your financial life. I knew that was a bad idea. I knew that's not the best way to, to, to grow wealth over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, because people don't talk about it. So at the kitchen table, like their dad who, you know, who, whatever, works at a mill or whatever, just he's not a financial guy. He can do anything in the world. But he's like, you know, you're 10 years old. Like, dad, I got my first paycheck. He's like, well, son, Billy, come here, sit here. What you got to do when you get a paycheck yeah. is you got to keep your spending money in your checking account. Literally named after fucking checks. That's how old this account is. <laughs> and then you got your savings account where you'll collect your interest. And little Billy grows up and does that until he's 40 years old. And little Billy wonders why it's so hard to retire at 60. It's not that hard of a solution. It's just a matter of talking to the right people. And I'm not saying I'm not the right person. This isn't my life anymore. But like, talk to an investment specialist. Talk to people who can help you grow well. Talk to realtors. Buy real estate. Talk to people. Just, just talk. talking just about talk. it. Yeah, just just talk yeah. about it. You know, like people who don't even want to talk to each other about how much money they make a year. Like, just I ah, can't do that. It's like, man. It's but pretty- that's where the insecurity comes in. Because to me, a lot of that, like talking about wealth and how to build it, is insecurity. Is people like, you know, making jokes at someone who makes more money than me. Whereas, like. I want to fucking talk to the guy that makes more money than me and understand like, what are they doing? Okay. You made a million dollars last year. Okay. Well, like what percentage of that is going into crypto? What percentage of that is going into real estate? You bought two properties last year. Okay. You believe in this. Like, let's focus, like, let's try to like build a little bit off that. That guy's fucking crushing it. It's the exact same concept that you mentioned earlier. Like if you want to become better real estate agent, follow better better real estate agents, right? And just do what they do. Ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I see it with my parents and stuff too. Like, old investing advice, they just have, they just don't really know what to do and they don't talk about it. So no one calls them, calls them out on it. And it just gets passed on. Yeah. Do you think, cause like back in the, let's say pre internet. So when our parents were teenagers and like early 20s, let's say, it was so like the society was so status driven. Mm -hmm. Like if you wore a nice jacket, they're like, oh, yeah. It comes from a good family. Whereas now, like, the rich people wear fucking cargo shorts and right. fucking button like yeah, comfortable. Nobody cares. Yeah, right? no one cares. I think you know, it's it's hard, I think it depends on the culture though. I think there's definitely cultures where like it's sure. st- like financial uh, status is like really important. I'm talking about Greater Vancouver. Yeah, okay. Like obviously, but general. But back in the day, like even watching like old movies, it was like people would wear the like a three hundred dollar suit in the fifties. Yeah, that, like today would be. 30 grand, like a ridiculous amount of money for a suit. And they would mow their lawn in it. <laughs> but then they would go home and they'd be living in a fucking tent, yes. right? Yeah. But yeah. the appearance on the outside is so much more important than actually what you have. And, and the culture like is just different. It's right? flipped. It's completely flipped now. I, yeah. Which is... Which I love. So I've, I've worked in areas of Vancouver where it's like that though. I worked in areas of Vancouver which very much it's about... I've seen people buy a brand new Porsche and have their... 
personal line of credit on their house or their secured line of credit over the limit. And they'll go out the next day and buy a Porsche and finance it. And they want to be seen in the Porsche, but they are, in no this one, case, millions of dollars in debt. Right? No one sees that, though. Seems like Nobody that's sees pretty that, rare, yeah. though. In some, I think in some areas, Vancouver is more common than others, but I think that... In I sh- think you're talking about cultural, though. Maybe. Like, I'm talking about people that were born and raised in Canada. It doesn't seem like that is the case anymore. Maybe, like, immigrants coming over, I know, like, like a couple demographics that, like, you're talking about, where image is very, very important still, yeah. but it doesn't seem like that is the overall consensus in... Like the people that we know that grew up in I Canada. think it's our generation that it's actually like a, changed it, to be honest. It's an old, totally. older way of yeah. thinking, right? Yeah. Because, like, that idea of like saving, I think that really comes from like the post war periods, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, save your pennies, you know, you want to make a burger, make sure it's half onions, half burgers, yeah. so you can save your meat, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that, that mentality, it's like very, but we don't live in that world right at this moment, at least. So, I think that mentality, it's like, I think honestly, I have very little things to say that are phenomenal about our generation, but I think that one thing that we did change is that people's the quality of a person is no longer measured in their fi- like in their finances, and it's more measured in like things that are are actually kind of real. Like you know, is this a good person? Mm-hmm. Is he an asshole? Is he a fucking bigot? You know, like yeah. these are the things that are people care about now. Where it's like before, you could have unlimited money and just behave like a complete fucking idiot all the time. Mm-hmm. And people would be like, oh, that's a great guy. Yeah, I God, like, I love that guy. I like that. But this like, generation Reputation is like, over status now. It's totally. Like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, exactly. And you can see how people form friends now too, eh? You mm-hmm. see people who are like very real in the way they behave. They attract real people despite the income differences. Like, like totally. I see people all the time who have massive <clears throat> income differences who are like literally, like they have the same social circle and there's like no judgment or anything. It's just like, yeah, that guy's a great guy. I'm a great guy. We're going to be best friends. I like that. This is positive. Makes me happy. I was having this conversation with like someone, I can't remember who, a couple, like a week ago maybe. And it was like, what attracts you? And literally what I said is people that are passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference to me if you make like 20 bucks an hour, 200 bucks an hour, $2,000 an hour. It makes no difference. I like people that are super excited about what they're doing. And I want to be around those people. Yeah. I think long-term that's where like, success and happiness comes from. Yeah, I totally Just agree. Like enjoying whatever you're doing, whether it's like film, artist, like being an artist or real estate or mortgages or yeah. who gives a shit? Totally. Carpentry, like whatever. If that's like the fucking shit that you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm agree. fucking pumped to put these cabinets together and I get excited about being creative and like creating something with my hands totally. or whatever. Those are the fucking sweetest people to be around, man. That's why I lo- that's why I love that's why I've become such a foodie recently. Like people who love food, like like you know, you work at a restaurant, you're probably not making mm-hmm. amazing money, but like the passion mm-hmm. is so incredible that they're just like, I'm gonna make the best goddamn shrimp ceviche you've ever had in your life, and and then you eat it, you're like, holy shit, it's the best shrimp ceviche I've ever had in my life, yeah. and like it's just such a great like authentic inter interaction. That's why I love like restaurateurs and like foodies. I think that's a, a really cool way where people. I had a guy do my backsplash the other day. My kitchen's getting redone, and this guy was so awesome. He was just like talking about his about the backsplash, you know. He's like, you know, like you, it's 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 bowed a little bit, but if I do all this shit, it kind of looks good. I'm like, yes. And that guy, I texted him to get a restaurant uh, uh, recommendation on commercial because he said he lived on commercial. Gave me a great recommendation. Nice. I hope to cross paths with that guy again. 
He's a great dad, great guy. Speaking of recommendations, that is one of the coolest things about being passionate about your life and your work is that people see it and they recommend you. So like next time you have a buddy that wants to do a kitchen reno and needs for someone to install tile, yeah. who, are you, who are you telling them to use? The guy who did my backsplash. Exactly. He's right. a great dude. Right. Versus someone who's just like, you know, fucking taking every 30 minutes, taking a cigarette break and just like, this fucking sucks. Yeah, whatever. I'll do the fucking backsplash. I think that's why it's important right. to do things like, you know, they say if like you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. Oh man, that's corny. But it's kind of true. Like if you do what you love, like people, like people can love different things. And that's why people also shouldn't be judged on what they do. Mm-hmm. If someone likes picking up the horse shit behind a horse in a parade, and they just love horses. They love being in parades. Fucking rights. Be the best at your job. And if you like what you do, there should be no judgment on what you do. It's probably unlikely that they enjoy picking up the shit. But maybe I like to be. In they a love horses. They just love being around horses so much. They and get to parades. groom them. They get to hang out with them. Yeah. They get to like ride them and run them and feed them and all the shit. Totally. And just picking up the shit is part of it. Like, how many times a day do we have to pick up shit in our industry? But we love the industry so much that we don't even notice that it's picking up shit. Right? Yeah, that's 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 wise. Those are deep words. That's, that's, I think that was the greatest thing I've ever. Seen. That was pretty fucking good. Man. <laughs> Denny's horseshit analogy. The metaphorical horseshit of our lives. Wow, that was yeah, that was deep, man. Next time I am uh, for a run or something, I'm like in a deep meditative state. I'm gonna think of your metaphor of <laughs> real estate horseshit and. Well done, Denny. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Well, thank Love you for you, having me on your uh, podcast this evening. Good to see you. This was a, quite a roller coaster. It's we started fun. by shitting on some stuff, and then we. Did you turn- text me this afternoon? What did you say? I said, "What do you want to talk about tonight?" What was my response? I think your response was whatever the fuck we want. Or <laughs> who gives a shit? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice how this really. I feel kind of inspired right now. It really took a positive. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of being like, people are losing money with idiots. Bankers keep dropping deals. I'm not trying to shit on people. I understand. I'm not trying to shit on people. But the metaphorical horseshit really pulls it together, in my opinion. Like, again, this is the way that my mind works. My mind works in that bringing light to things that are happening that are not advantageous for most consumers is going to help more consumers. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you fucking suck, you're losing someone money. It's more just like, consumers, let's understand what is actually happening in this market and let's pick people that are doing well Mm -hmm. that are going to help me help myself right like i don't know anything about investing in stocks i have someone that helps me do that i don't know a fuck ton about crypto i try to have conversations with people that are better at me and know more than that right like i don't know how to do a mortgage so i pick like who i think are the best people in the industry to help me get the best mortgage situation yeah i i agree just I think a lot of it goes back to the conversation part. Like, have to talk to people, lean on people, work with good people. It's a lot of communication based, I guess. Like, being willing to communicate, talk to people, get referrals, stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's totally fun to not know shit. Yeah. Just like, just know who does know more than you. Yeah. There's like that old uh, Hebrew saying. Here we go. Oh, fuck. (laughs) The wisest. (laughs) Hold on. Oh, shit. I got it. Hold on. The wisest man is not who knows all, but knows the man who knows all. Are you searching for this? Yeah. 
The wisest man is not who knows everything, but knows where to find the person who knows everything. Is it a fool? <clears throat> Hold on a second here. If this ends so with So the a, idea makes sense to me. Yeah. The way like, that I'm reading this is the, the wisest man is not someone who knows everything, but they know where to go to find the answer to anything. That's it. That, that's it. A fool says what he knows and a wise man knows what he says. That's definitely not what I was talking about. <laughs> but I also like that. No, a lot. but what you said was bang on. The, the, the wisest dude is not the guy who knows everything. The wisest dude is knows the resources to find out how exactly. to get things. I like that a lot. Man, I got to find that one out. If this. I like Carl's message though, too. Yeah. That's a good one. Also Hebrew. Was it? Yeah. I hope mine was Hebrew. Mine might not have been Hebrew at all. It could have been old Chinese saying. I have no <laughs> idea. But I think it was Hebrew. It's like a Jamaican thing. <laughs> Wise man. Oh, it's not team. No, it's, uh, don't put that in the fire. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, but that's true. Know where to find your information. Lean on people. Talk to people. Lean on professionals. I love it. We're all in this shitstorm together, man. Dude, it is a big shitstorm. Yeah. It is a fun shitstorm. Yeah, because like I don't know a lot of shit. You don't know a lot of shit. Carl knows probably more than both of us, but not everything. Probably true. But we need to (laughs) find the people who do know some shit. So like Like when I so when I need to do my taxes, I'm not talking. I'm talking to Jordan. Like I need someone to know how to do my taxes. So Jordan's office called me today, and in my phone, Jordan is our awesome accountant in North Van. He's been on the podcast. In my phone, it says Jordan Cahill. So I'm like, Hey, Jordan, how's it going? And the uh, like the assistant on the phone is like, oh, so actually it's uh, blah, blah, blah from Jordan's office. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So she's like, Jordan uh, wants to connect with you over a Zoom call, whatever, this week to talk about your whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, how about uh, Thursday morning? I'm free from like 8 till 9.30. Then I have appointments. She's like, oh, uh, yeah, Jordan. Uh, Jordan's appointments start at 10. I was like, Jordan's fucking soft, hey? <laughs> This is, he's at this point in his career, he's fucking starting work at 10. Taking appointments and at 10. And she didn't, yeah, she didn't know what to say. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm uh, I'm just allowed to You said that to her? Yeah. <laughs> She's probably his assistant, She's probably just shitting her pants. <laughs> well, okay, but I followed it up. But anyway, so um, I say this and she's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just, I said, what, what's the earliest you can book an appointment? 10 a.m. And I'm like, oh, Jordan's getting soft. <laughs> and then uh, I, I like start laughing. And I could tell she was awkward. I said, oh, like Jordan is a pretty good friend of mine. I'm just giving her a hard time and like cover it up. But dude, that guy, dude, could do taxes at 5 a.m. Like, oh, I know. Who knows he probably what the hell is. he's I know. up to? I know. Anyway, thanks, buddy. Thank you, Love man. You. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Carl. Mm-hmm. It's always fun. It is fun. I, um, I like that, this one a lot. I like talking to people that are fucking pros at what they're doing. That's what pumps me up. Like the the bank analogy is great to end with. I don't want someone that knows a small amount about everything. I want to talk to the guy that is the fucking pro at mortgages. Or investments or insurance. I want to talk to the guy that knows a shit ton about audio, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about either of those things. Right? <laughs> a very limited amount. Yeah, totally. Well, literally, what I say, people are like, "Oh, what mics do you use?" I'm like, "Well, Carl told me to use these." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to have people like that, though. Yeah, we're like, "What do you know about mortgages?" I was like, "Well, Alex mm-hmm. got me this mortgage, so this is what I know." Right? Talk, or just, talk or just, to him, yeah, just yeah. talk to that guy about yeah. it, yeah, because he'll know more about. Here's it. his phone number. Yeah, totally. Because if, I, if I had to know about microphones, I can goddamn guarantee you I'm not calling you. Literally. <laughs> I'm going to call Carl. I messaged time. Carl two nights ago and said, hey, 
I need two la- la- uh, lav mics for the new videographer. What do I do? <laughs> Just have no idea. I'll Amazon it and there will be 97 options. I'm like, well, one's $99.99. So, well, Amazon recommends And the other one. one's $600. <laughs> I would assume the $600 is better than the $100 one, but I don't know. <laughs> Carl, help me, please. <laughs> anyway, go get some pizza. All right, buddy. Thanks, Thanks man. man.